0: I find myself continuing to be fascinated by names, but if I have anything else to do, I would love to be a nameologist, except there is no such thing as a nameologist. Oh yes, there is, I just coined that phrase. But the study of names, and I find it fascinating, and the one that we're focusing on today is Jude. And I think it's a case, for anyone who is aware, I think it's a case that Jude, or the name Jude here in the text, has been kind of english or so, or it comes to you uh, in your translations as Jude. But I believe it's the case that his name actually is, is from the Hebrew, and it's Yehudah. And it's interesting that the very, the very basis, the very, the can I say, kind of the, the, the framework of his name means to praise, or to praise Yah, or to praise Jehovah. And also contained in that name is a root that is actually uh, references the hand. So essentially, are you tracking? Essentially, his name means to praise or to raise the hands in praise of Yah, of Yahweh. So next time you're reading Jude, look around at the scenery and see if you can find anything at all, a uh, reason to praise God. Your first, your first um, side note of the morning... In terms of names. My name, Lester, does not bode well if I'm in Germany. I was in Germany for a couple years and I was I was there for a short while and they would ask me, what's your name? I said, well, Lester. What is your name? It's Lester. Your name is what? (laughs) It's Lester. After being there a while, I became I came to awareness that in Matthew, what is it? Matthew, I think, is chapter twelve and verse thirty-one, where it says, "All sin, and uh, what is it? All sin shall be given forgiven unto man, except the blasphemy against the spirit." Let's see. All sins and blasphemy can be forgiven unto man, except the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And it is indeed the case that the sound of my name, Lester, if if I'm speaking German, it, it, it means, it is saying, blasphemy. And so I would say, Ich heiße Lester, aber ich lester nicht. My name is Lester, but I don't Lester. <laughs> That's a side note. <laughs> so I find myself fascinated with names. And again, the importance of those names. And I'm laying the foundation here this morning for Jude as we proceed forward. <clears throat> and in doing so, um, this whole thing about names, in doing so, Can we think back there in, uh, what is it, Genesis in chapter 11, right? What happened back in Genesis chapter 11? Anyone know anything about Genesis chapter 11? The Tower of Babel? What fundamentally was taking place in the Tower of Babel? What was taking place? What was happening? Okay, say again, someone else? Seeking recognition, seeking recognition, and 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 what would you say, Paul? Making their name, Making their name great. great, name great. And so, again, that brings up the discussion what fundamentally is a name? What is a name? What is a name all about? What does a name do? Do you have a name? It's an identity. It's an identity. She scored, it's an identity. It brings identity. And so can I contend? Well, if I would say what was right or what was wrong with Genesis 11. I would like to suggest that in measure, in measure, there was nothing wrong in Genesis 11 in terms of seeking and looking for identity. But the problem, folks, the problem was the ways and means. Let what? Let us, make us a name. Let us, make us a name. And isn't it so interesting, following right after that, what happens in Genesis chapter 12? Is it true? God is speaking to Abram. He says, I will make of thee a great nation. I will make your name great. Is that right? Let's work on that and process that well. If you want to have an identity, if you want to have a name, it's only as you have a relationship with God through Christ that you really have any substance in terms of name. Now, I'm laying this foundation because I think I'm going to try. How does this link into Jude? Hang on. When we get over to chapter, uh, when we get over to verse 6, I think we'll try and tie it in again, okay? Uh, how about this time from the youth? Are there any youth here today from the youth? Anyone responding from the youth? There's a story in Daniel, I believe, chapter something, three maybe, um, about some young Hebrew men who were thrown into the furnace. Does anyone know who? Anyone know? Who was that? And I thank you so much. I thank you so much. But my question is, folks. My question is, why is that story so well, so well known by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And what's the problem with that response? Thank you for the response. It's it's common response. But what's the problem with that response? Those their actual names. They were not the actual names. What names were they? The Babylonian, names. Babylonian names. Is everyone tracking? We have a switch of identity. a uh, Yeah, switch of identity. And they're, they're, uh, the Babylonian names, are you there? The Babylonian names are identifiers which connect them to the gods of this world. Rather than being known by their names which connect them and identify them with the God of heaven. I find that interesting. I find that interesting. And the question is, Maybe particularly for the youth, right? question is, are you going to allow culture around you to re-identify you and identify you as that which connects to the gods of this world? That's the question. That's the question. I think maybe I can pick up on that a bit later on, and we'll get to this whole thing about contending for the faith. Let's move on. Again, laying some foundation, some uh, groundwork here, and that is, let's look at the text. I think you've got the text before you. Is that right? But there's something that has occurred here. There's something that has occurred with the writer. The writer. And who's the writer? Jude or Yehuda. And I believe, without spending a lot of time, I think it's the case, is it true that there are those who think that it may likely have been a half-brother of Jesus? Is that true? Is anyone, are we on there? Are we on the page here? So what has happened? There's something fundamentally that happened before this text occurred. What was it? Something that happened in the life of, I'll say Jude, something that happened in the life of Jude before the writing of this text. Any clue? He recognized him before who he was, the Son of God. But what happened before that? I mean, you're right. You're right on. He had to be the brother of Jesus. He was brother of Jesus. And what did his brothers think about him? They didn't believe, they didn't believe right? They didn't believe. That he. So what fundamentally happens here is there was a switch in, in, in belief. He, at one time, didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. Is this true? I think that's right. He now is giving us a text in which he now is a believer. So there was a fundamental shift, a fundamental shift in his belief system as, I say, before or as he was writing this text. So now he is a believer. And we're working um, on that. Again, Jude, servant of Jesus Christ, brother James, unto them that are sanctified by God, uh, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. We could work a long time on this thing about sanctified. What does it mean to be sanctified? Are you sanctified? Anyone here this morning sanctified? We have one over here that's sanctified. <clears throat> I'm on it. And, and, and others are working on it. <clears throat> I find that interesting. It's <clears throat> again, recorded here, I think, in Greek, however it comes with the, uh, the Hebrew backdrop, and the word in Hebrew is kodesh. Kodesh. And it means, it means that which is distinct from the common and the profane. That which is distinct from the common and profane. So all you have to do is ask yourself the question. To what extent am I holy? To what extent am I sanctified? To what extent am I distinct from the common and profane? That's it. It's that simple. So, you Lifestyle, your wardrobe, uh, your entertainment, uh, and, and all of the rest of it. To what extent is that distinct from the common profane? All right. Uh, I may divide this a little bit differently than I think you might have in, in your, what is it, your quarterly is there. Uh, but I will refer to it as I proceed. We'd like to look at the first section. Before we get to the first section, which I am calling verse 3 and 4, <clears throat> uh, we'd like to look at verse 2. And hopefully, I can have some response from the group here in terms of a couple uh, texts that I would like to call out, and maybe someone can respond, be ready to read those uh, when I'm ready for them. And can we, do, can we go there? Uh, about uh, 2 Thessalonians 1-2? These are all 1-2. 2 Thessalonians 1-2. Can someone be prepared to read that one back, back here? And um, 1 Peter 1-2. How about 1 Peter 1-2? Someone... We prepared for 1 Peter 1-2 right here. We have one back there, uh, 2 Peter 1-2, okay? It's all 1-2, so we shouldn't get lost. <clears throat> and how do we read it? At verse 2 here? What does it say? It says, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Let's, and this is interesting. Let's hear now from uh, 2 Thessalonians one 2. Grace unto you and peace. Is that right? Grace unto you and peace. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 2. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout
1: Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Athenia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctification of the Spirit
0: unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Grace unto you and peace. Now well, Let's see. What about... Uh, 2 Peter 1 2. Grace and peace, grace and peace, mercy and peace, grace and peace. I contend grace and uh, mercy, what it? theological first cousins? Or no, theological twins. Yeah. Grace and mercy. But I find it interesting, folks. I find it interesting that grace and mercy, or, or, or mercy, in this case, mercy, and we heard grace and peace, grace and peace, grace, no, excuse me, grace and mercy always come first. It's always come first. You'll never find, I think, in biblical texts, if I'm aware, unless, and, and prove me wrong, you'll never find peace and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is always grace and peace. It's always mercy and peace. Why? Think this one through. Mercy, think this one. Comes, first. mercy comes first. But why does mercy come first? That's right. Are we there? First of all, we accept uh, the grace of God in our lives, we accept the mercy of God in our lives, and as a result of that, we then have peace. So it's a movement, it's a forward movement, always from mercy and or grace to peace. Was born and raised in the state of Michigan. As a result of that, I needed the grace of God in my life. (laughs) I, so you find that humorous, I guess. <laughs> I was a sinner lost to, from a relationship with Christ, with God, and I needed the grace of God in my life. And I'm suspicious that might be the case as well, uh, even if you were born and raised in Pennsylvania or, or Carolinas or even Virginia. We'll put that in there. <clears throat> so, mercy Unto you and peace and love be multiplied. This one of mercy, I find this very interesting. I, I picked this up somewhere along the way. Are you ready? Are you ready? Mercy understood. Mercy understood is mercy received, which begs mercy extended. Process that one. Think it through. Mercy understood is mercy received, which begs. Mercy extended. Do you find yourself extending mercy? Have you received mercy? Mercy understood is mercy received, which begs mercy extended. All right, I have uh, kind of compartmentalized uh, this a bit, and that is, uh, I would say, I would call uh, verse 3 and 4, and would we have someone ready to read that one? Verse 3 and 4 uh, being warnings concerning apostasy. Warnings concerning apostasy. <clears throat> and perhaps before we have the reading, um, can I just insert at this juncture <clears throat> at least as near as I understand. Oh, can you tell me that actually the word apostasy is not is not in biblical text? Is that true? I don't think you find the word apostasy in the biblical text. Although... Can I say the concept the idea is there, all right? I think we heard it this morning, you know, about uh, the warnings in in the book of Hebrews about falling away. But the – let me say it like this. The word apostasy is not in the English text. We'll do that. Uh, But the concepts are there. Um, Maybe I'll do it now because we're going to be talking about apostasy as we proceed forward. Uh, It's actually in Acts 21, 21, if this interests anyone. Well, yeah, could someone read that one for Acts 21, 21. Who would like to read that one? Acts 21, 21, somewhere? Back there, okay. Uh, Acts 21. And then also, someone uh, bring to us 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3. Okay, back here again. All right. Uh, Again, and these are the texts. These are two texts. All right, is everyone there? Two texts. (laughs) Uh, can I say from the Greek, in which the word apostate or apostasol uh, is there? So let's hear uh, from uh, Acts twenty-one, twenty-one. Okay, right there, that word forsake, forsake Moses, forsake is apostasion, which from which we get our word apostasy. Okay, again, Second uh, Thessalonians two and verse three. And there it is, falling away, falling away, apostasia, apostasia, apostasy, apostasy. Let's see, what do you have uh, in the New Testament? You have apostle, right? What is an apostle? An apostle comes from. It's a compound word in the Greek apostello, apostello, and the apo, the, the the prefix there is is away. It's it, it, it's away. And uh, Stello is sent. So apostles are away sent. They're sent away persons. Apostasy is uh, apo is away from, and stacy is to stand firm. So apostasy is moving away from standing firm. That's apostasy. <clears throat> All right. Let's hear now. Let's read now. Uh, verse. 3 and 4. Who would like to do that one for us? Verse 3 and 4 from the text. Anyone? Okay, back there. Yes. Thank you. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write
1: unto you for common salvation, it, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into
0: a all right, thank you. And there we have it. Uh, there in verse 3, is that right? In verse 3, to earnestly contend for the faith, earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I would like to focus in this section, again, where are we? Warnings concerning apostasy. I would like to, I would like to focus on um, verse 4, about midway through verse 4. What does it say? Well, it says, For there are certain men, crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, who? Ungodly men. Ungodly men. Turning the grace of God um, into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we're talking about, well, you tell me, what does it mean to be godly? What does it mean to be godly? Are there any godly people here today, this morning? Are you godly? Like God. Like God? To double down on that. Living in the image in which we were created. The image in which we were created? Okay. Can someone find for us this time? Oh, let's see, I've got it right here. Uh, 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. 1 Timothy 6 and 6. And again, we're talking here about being ungodly. The ungodly men that have crept in. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Who would like? Okay, yes, thank you. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. <clears throat> and what does that mean? What's it talking about? I find this interesting as well. I find this very interesting. And that is that, that um, <clears throat> let's see. Have you ever heard um, reference made like at a funeral when they do the eulogy, the eulogy? And what is a eulogy? You ever heard that, eulogy? It's usually a good word about the deceased. Is that true? A good word. And, and it comes from the Greek word eulogai, logai, logos, logos. You remember hearing John, John's Gospel. In the beginning it was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then, uh, oh, well, in the Greek it says logos. The word, the word in Greek is logos. So good word is logos. logai. Well, here it has to do, it's eusebia, good sebia." And sebia. Uh, Again, in terms of godly, is how can I explain it? It is, it's it's the... um, Can I say it like this? It's being satisfied, satisfied with God's provision. Satisfied with God's provision. So essentially, again, godliness, and then there in Timothy, godliness, godliness with contentment is great gain. Being satisfied with God's provision, his mercy on my life, his grace in my life, satisfied with that, that is great gain. And what's the gain? The eternal life with him forever. Godliness. Being satisfied with God's provision will then uh, be of great gain because it renders for us in eternity, forever. Ungodly. Ah, sebias. Atheist. Again, that negative particle. And then sebia. Not being satisfied with God's provision. And that's what's happening. Persons were coming into the community there, uh, coming into the congregation, who were not satisfied with God's provision. Ungodly. Ungodly men. And so, that is the context in which I think he's saying here that we need to contend for the faith, contend that we need to be, uh, can we say, satisfied in God's provision. There are many these days who seem to be unsatisfied with God's provision. And the question comes, to what extent are you personally satisfied with God's provision? That's the question. And are you giving evidence of that in your life, that you are satisfied with God's provision? That's the question. All right, I think I would like to then travel on to the next section, and that being, I have uh, uh, put it together in, Uh, let's see, the next verses, verse 5, 6, and 7, as being... Uh, okay, we have warnings. We now have warnings about apostasy, these first three, uh, three and four, and now we have examples um, of apostasy in the past. And I find it interesting that there are like, it's a little triad of sorts, three examples of apostasy in the past. Let's take a look at those, and would someone be so kind as to read for us, uh, again, verse 5, 6, and 7. Who's our cantor? Okay, back there, okay, thank you again. 5, 6, and 7.
1: To and going out of strange flesh
0: are set forth an example of suffering of eternal life. Alright, it's interesting that we have a little triad here. Okay, does everyone tracking? You're watching that, reading the text. We have example of the people. Uh, example of apostasy. Again, the people who went out of the land of Egypt afterward destroyed them. What? Because they did not believe. And why? What were they doing? They were being asabios. they're being not satisfied with God's provision. Incidentally, I do, a, I do a series on uh, the tabernacle and the, um, the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant. I find it very fascinating, those three uh, items that were in uh, the tabernacle that were in the Ark of the Covenant. Because I contend, I contend, that they and, and you can back it up by Scripture, I contend that there are three examples of God's provision, God's authority, and God's rulership as well as simultaneously, uh, can I say, indicators of man's rebellion against his provision, his authority, and his rulership. I find it interesting, very interesting. And so here again, those who did not believe were then destroyed, as well as verse six, and here's where we're gonna try and tie it in, as well in verse six, and the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. The angels. And this is where we're back to this whole thing about uh, identifiers, or identity, and names and what they do. I find it interesting, folks. I find it interesting. Well, it he talks here about angels, the angels which kept not their first estate, I think that includes, includes what we call, all right, for sake of discussion, what we call Satan. Or perhaps more properly, Lucifer. And later on here in the text, it talks about Michael the archangel. I think it's the case. Is it the case? I think it's the case. I think it's the case. That, that, that this Lucifer or this person this, was one of the archangels originally. I think that's the case. But he was, but he fell. You know the story there. He fell. Is that right? And I think simultaneously, hear this, folks. When he fell, he was stripped of his identity. He was stripped of his identity. He no longer has a name. In fact, actually, uh, we use this term. We use this term, Satan. Satan, and that's not a name. That's 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 more of a title than a name. In fact. Um, Numbers. I don't know if we have time to go there. Numbers, something. Numbers 22 in verse 22, where it talks about uh, reference there. And it says, um, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way as an adversary unto him. I find it interesting that in the Hebrew, the angel of the Lord there is referred to as Satan, as a Satan. And Satan can I say the word Satan is more than what we often refer to as that fallen individual, Lucifer, something. So Satan is a bit more than that. It can be just simply an adversary. Kings would go out and they would fight against each other and they were a Satan to each other. They were adversaries to each other. So again, the word there in Numbers 22, verse 22, 22, an adversary, the adversary there in, I think, the King James text, in the Hebrew, the word is Satan. I find that interesting. So again, I'm back to the point that that. This angel, this fallen angel, was stripped of his identity. Again, we're back to the whole thing of you only have identity and meaning when you uh, place yourself, your relationship, uh, again, in God through Christ. And that's what brings meaning and um, identity to your life. Can we can we insert this one here at this point in terms of... do we say Lucifer? Or whatever. Um, These days, I don't know, where are we these days in terms of uh, being sort of directionally challenged? Now let's see, I think, am I right? Like right here, east would be to our... Your left, is that right? East is off that direction somewhere. Making West over here somewhere, and making north kind of back there somewhere. Is that right? And south behind me. Is that true? But is it right? If I were to if I were to put a map up here, um, and we would look at the map. You look at the map. Is that right? In terms of direction, then east is to your right. Is that true? East is to your right. North is to the top, and south to the bottom west to your left. I think that's right. Except that, is it true? I think except that when it comes to uh, certain maps or so, or pictures, pictures of Jerusalem, and or maps of Jerusalem east is to the top. I think that's right. Uh, You can research that on your own some other time. What I'm saying is, and now we're back to this whole thing about Lucifer, All right, Someone do this for us. uh, Psalm 48, verse 1 and 2. Who would like to be ready with that one? Psalm 48, 1 and 2. Okay, back there, yes. And then someone else, Isaiah 14, 12, 13 and 14. Isaiah 14, 12, 13 and 14. Who would be ready with that? Okay, right here. Yes, thank you. Okay, I find this one interesting. In terms, again, we're talking about the fallen angels and I'm suggesting Lucifer. Um, And again, directions, the north, south, east and west. Let's go with um, Psalm. I think I'm right. Forty-eight, one and two. Praise the Lord and
1: greatly to be praised in the city of our God and the mountain
0: of His holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the Lord is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great King. Mount Zion on the sides of the north. The city of the great King. And what do you think about when you think about Mount Zion and the sides of the north and the city of the great King? We think about. Well, it's just it's beautiful. You know, it's, it's all the trees around there, isn't it. Yeah, Mount Zion, sides of the north. I find this one interesting, folks. I find this one interesting. Can you track with me? Again, we said we're going to draw it out here. And so we have, what, east to our right and north to the top and, and the west and all. And I think, are you aware? Is it, is it true that every time that ancient Israel would set up the tabernacle? <clears throat> the entrance was always to the east. Is that right? I think that's the case. And later on when they built the tabernacle, excuse me, when they built the temple, it was also, the entrance was to the east. Everyone there? And so the courtyard, you know, the, 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 the curtained courtyard uh, of the uh, tabernacle was, was to the east. So when you stepped into the courtyard, what was the first thing that you found inside the courtyard? First item. Anyone know? Inside the courtyard? The altar. The, altar. the brazen altar. Which was a four-sided um, altar. Is that right? And here's where it gets interesting. Here's where it gets at least for me. And you can critique me on this. I don't care. Critique me on this one. But as you would step into the courtyard, there's the altar, brazen altar. And so it's also, what, east, north, and west, and south? My understanding is, from the rabbis, and so, that the sacrificed lamb for the sins of the people was always uh, sacrificed on the north side of the altar. I find that interesting. I find that interesting. Beautiful for situation. the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north. Why the sides of the north? That's where the sacrifice for the sins of the people was slain. Isaiah um, 14 12, 13, 14. Who has that one? We're talking about Lucifer. Is that right? Okay, right here, yes.
1: Said in my heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Ah,
0: folks I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Ah, that folks. Like
1: thank you, thank
0: you, thank you. I am willing to I am willing to venture that part and parcel of the reason that Lucifer was. We want to say dismissed from heaven, not only caught up in his pride, but if there's any substance to this idea of the sides of the north, I will sit on the sides of the north of the congregation and be like the Most High God. I am suspicious that included in that was also his idea that I am going to become the sacrifice for the sins of man. And God said, No, that's reserved for my son, Jesus. Again, a part of the fallen angels. Part of the fallen angels. So again, Satan, turned Satan, not a, uh, a name, but more of a title. <clears throat> and again, I'm suspicious that um, he is there doing so, wanting to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. Let's go on to the next section. And some, that's a little bit longer. Uh, and I'm calling this <clears throat> Apostasies in the Present. Apostleses in the present. And now we're dealing with uh, the present and what that might mean in terms of apostleses. A little a longer section. Can someone read for us this time verse 8 through verse 16? 8 through 16. Who's reading that one? Okay. I want to take it
1: again. Body of Moses durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, "The Lord rebuke thee." But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally, as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, moaning out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these saying, say, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh Great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration
0: because of advantage. Their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all their speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Where are we again? Uh, again, that whole thing of not being satisfied with God's provision. And so they are, yeah, they are speaking those forth and saying all sorts of things against God or about him. I find it interesting as well. Um, Back here in, uh, there's another little kind of a triad of sorts in in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, they've run greedily after the heir of Balaam, and they have, uh, for reward, and perished in the gainsayings of Korah, or Korah. And that, in fact, that enters in, I think, into this whole discussion about the, the articles there in the Ark of the Covenant. Rebelling against God's authority. And I think you know the storyline there. Again, Aaron's rod that budded and it was put in there. And why? Reminder, both, first of all, of God's authority and mankind's rebellion against that authority. That's what's going on. And in terms of Cain, I find it interesting as well. I find this intriguing. In terms of Cain, you go back there in, um, in Genesis, where is it, chapter 4? <clears throat> and it says, you know, God, is that right? God speaking. And he says to Cain, he says, you know, what is it? Or so, uh, your, your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. Your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And it's interesting that in the Hebrew, the word blood there is in the plural. It's in the plural. And the rabbis, as they work on that, conclude that, yeah, you know, why, why did God put it in the plural? Why is it in the plural? Because when you end someone's life, you not only end that life, but you end all possibility of any succeeding generations. Of any succeeding generations. And so the rabbis say that's why God put it in the plural, blood. In other words, Cain, your brother's bloods, bloods, cries to me from the ground. In other words, all succeeding generations, are crying to me from the ground because they've not been able to experience life. Because you you, you cut off. Okay, I think I heard a bell, and I think that brings us close to the end. Um, The latter section there, then, uh, guidelines for avoiding apostasy. And now we pick that up in verse 17. Uh, But, beloved, remember... Ye, the words which were spoken before the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. How? That they told you. There should be mockers in the last time. They should walk after their own ungodly lusts. and ungodly again. These be they that separate themselves, sensual having not the Spirit. Again, we are, if you are godly, you are satisfied with the work of the Spirit. But. Ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And there we are. Why mercy? Because the gift of God in our lives unto eternal life. And then we finish um, with the victory over apostasy. How do we maintain victory over apostasy? Now, unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his, only, of his glory with exceeding joy, to Him, or to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. How are we going to, how are we going to contend for the faith? How are we going to remain godly it's only in this relationship with God through Christ. Again, now to Him, is able to keep you from falling, to present you faultless, before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy, to the only wise God our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. Amen.